This episode of Chicago's Bravest Story is brought to you by Sports at Orso. God dang it. This episode of Chicago's Bravest Story is brought to you by Sports and Ortho Physical Therapy. And Sports and Ortho is a physical therapy and uh, sports medicine clinic where you can go get direct access to uh, physical therapists and and a primary physician actually they have over there too. Um, well, they're privately owned. They're not some goofy corporation. And I can speak for experience that the ownership, uh, Dahlia, especially of Sports and Ortho, uh, amazing generosity for us and our department and departments. Uh, Seeking out help too, uh, right? It's just her generosity is unbelievable. And I know they're big on they're big on one on one appointments. You know they're they're huge where you're not just going to go in and um, and meet with a random person or meet with a group of people like yeah. it's. Dahlia said that ninety percent of her clientele are CFD CPD. So she understands the process. You don't need a doctor's note to use them. It's covered under our city policy. You can request them if you're being sent to physical therapy and you want to go uh, to Sports and Ortho. There's always one by any one of our houses uh, for city employees. There's numerous locations everywhere, so there's always going to be one close to you. Yeah, they're all around the Chicago and area. Yeah, so give them a call or visit them at sportsandortho.net and uh, they'll, they'll get you fixed up. Yep, yeah. All right, we are recording. Uh, we had some colorful stories. Uh, you can't, we're say, off. can't say that anymore. We had a bathroom break. We had a bathroom break. Bathroom break. But we're back now. Uh, Chris, you know, where did we live? Did you know if you're from Guam? I don't like this. Oh, jeez. I don't you're like not, where we're going. <laughs> what would you call a person from Guam? You wouldn't know. I uh, wouldn't know. No. Guamamanian. You would think, right? I like, I like Guamanian. But that's not it. <laughs> there's and a lot of extra syllables in it. And Guamanian was actually a term that the United States Navy tried to bring to simplify because, it. Because they didn't know better. They they you, weren't familiar with the culture. You lived in Guam? What are, you, what are they called? Chamorro. Who? Chamorro. Chamorro. That's a native from Guam is called Chamorro. Per. Per my mom, you motherfucker. <laughs> Who the fuck do you think? <laughs> So every podcast, Corey, you get to sit. Did she call you that? <laughs> is that what she called you? <laughs> so you I, got your... Did you, is that where you're getting to? Yeah. Just, you know, every podcast oh. you sit across from Chamorro Thunder right here. <laughs> or a brush, pump, or a brush yeah, pumper. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know. I made it up. I didn't. <laughs> boy, so, did, boy, did we get April, sidetracked. April 19th. April 19th. So. We're just going to go straight from... Brush pumper the April 19th. Listen, we want to start off fucking hot. Vince. Do it. Okay. So April 19th. Yes, sir. We talked about don't go. <laughs> April 19th. So you start off your shift. You're you're the the deputy to the executive secretary's <laughs> traveling captain that yes. day. Okay. And and so you show up to the station, you guys are talking, you guys do breakfast, which right. big fan of we're already. Yeah, right. Um, but you guys talk about breakfast. You guys send a shopper, or uh, if we have enough manpower, if not, we take the rig to the store. Okay, okay. cool. Yeah, so. yeah. And and so, I mean, again, just relative to like the event, 
I'm sure you heard something. Oh, like, we, what, what happened? Yeah, we, take uh, us down the road. The um, 902, uh, be exact, the, it detonated, and we felt the, the station definitely. It, it, I mean, the station rattled, the windows rattled. The, uh, I mean, it was. It oh, was, at 902. Yeah. Oh, it, it was fun. a. Okay. It was a. It was the freakiest boom, and uh, actually, what we thought was a. Uh, and we're going to get sidetracked here sure. again. I no, know no, when no, I say no. this, but it's kind uh, of our thing. Yeah. No, uh, yeah. Because right. Across from the fire station was a Borden ice cream plant. So they just go in there all the time, get all the free ice cream we wanted. Yeah, but, well, I mean, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but there was train tracks, and so they'd come in and drop their chemicals or whatever they use. Yeah. And we thought a train had derailed, actually, and hit the station. That's how much the station rattled. Oh, okay. We thought a car hit the station or something, so we went out this side door and looked. Just to check out what's going on. Just to yeah. the east to see if it was over at the ice cream plant. Right. And uh, nothing, so we kind of walked towards the south building and looked back to the south towards downtown saw this huge plume of black smoke and it was from the car all the car fires so just i mean it, it felt like a bomb huh? yeah oh yeah it uh, it felt like station one had damage where it actually picked the roof up and moved it over so many inches Jesus. and set it back down but more cracks in the walls yeah. but it was um we just self-dispatched we knew we were um we knew that, and that's kind of, kind of what i wanted to get to yeah. it, so okay. yeah we knew we knew and there's a uh, couple of entertaining stories real quick we uh Please. one guy we had to stop and because it was yard day mm-hmm. so one guy had his hearing protection on while he was weed eating <laughs> uh-huh. and he actually we have an air force base so many miles to the east seven miles Tinker oh, okay. air force base okay. he thought it was a sonic boom from he felt the rush he felt the wind at his back because he was facing his back towards downtown yeah he just thought it was a sonic boom from a jet out of tinker that's, so he just yeah, kept on it's wednesday that's how yeah, things go he just yeah. kept on weeding so we had to stop and hit the air horn till he finally <laughs> hey, looked Dick, up <laughs> yeah well started so heading down there the boom you guys heard wrong and like by um again relative to relative to people that that um are maybe too young to mm-hmm. to have known the oklahoma, the oklahoma city bombing like first-hand accounts had there were a lot of there was a lot of speculation. People had thought that there was a uh, potential for a, a gas leak. Like mm-hmm. even people that worked at the building, mm-hmm. they had thought that there was maybe a gas leak and explosion from that. There were people that had thought that there were um, there there was a, a a foreign threat and there was a bomb from that. Like the <coughs> firsthander accounts of the Oklahoma of the Oklahoma City bombing. They're everywhere. They mm-hmm. thought the Russians were attacking. Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone everyone well, was everywhere that evening. There was a lot of. Um, there was a lot of anger amongst everybody because at that time, what was going on in the in the in the world those days yeah. was they thought there was a Middle Eastern involvement. Sure, and yeah. uh, you know, so when we of course were you're finding flags, we're hanging them and flying them like up yours, you sons of bitches, you yeah. know, because that's just what we thought. Well, that's what that was the is, is that what middle. you guys when you guys got on the rig, put your shit on, self dispatched. What did you guys think it was? Did you yeah, think it was anything, here? or you're like we're gonna find out when we get well, there? The, the guy that was driving me, we were just like. Because we got about, um, we left our station at 22nd Street. We got to about 14th or 15th Street okay. on Bro- and 15th and Broadway. And people were coming out of their business because their storefront windows were blown out. Sure. There yeah. was building damage, like a 13-square block area. Okay. And uh, so we were just like going everything. Like we thought maybe, a, you know, a natural gas uh, line maybe had ruptured or exploded. Or the guy that was driving me said that the building across the street was doing uh, a lot of construction. They was, uh, a lot of st- uh, steel 
welding so we uh-huh. thought maybe a welder's torch settling you know we did we run all these scenarios through our heads but the last thing you thought in your mind was that some kid parked a u-haul in front of the federal building yeah that full of fertilizer and i'll tell you when we first found out that it was an explosive device was when they evacuated us the first time well the only time they evacuated because <clears throat> they said that they had found another explosive device and i think we were all like another what do you mean another but that came from a guy went up on the ninth floor um if y'all want a quick history lesson well, 1995 Tim you know, i was gonna say can, can i hold you off because i i do want to get to that i was okay. gonna ask you about that but but yeah so like going into it as the officer on that particular rig that you were going to your mind your thought process was that maybe it wasn't as as aggressive as as domestic threat or as right. bombing like you just thought it was just another you know right and you know we're still taking all the precautions we're making you know it's building was nine floors sure. pancake down top of each yeah. other there wasn't a whole lot of different ways to get in um to start searching and uh yeah. and so and so in route you guys are again your your thought process mm-hmm. going on when you pull up would are you looking did you know the command was already established at that point or what what was going on via dispatch when you would well pull the up? communications was horrible because there wasn't like that was it called 800 megahertz 900 whatever the system's right. called now sure. Everybody's that was on one channel right yeah it was yeah. crazy police fire jump ahead when they evacuated us that was kind of a godsend moment i think because it gave us a chance to the step reset. back recuperate and kind of gather ourselves and they got the command set up the ics command was set up fire took command and everything but uh yeah when we first got there it was uh we set up at triage on our own we didn't even have an assignment when we first got there you're saying that yeah and it was just uh i always tell people it was where we were parked we had to walk up over this the street had a little bit of a hill on it and it was like a no, well, my age. When you go to the movie, they showed these horror movie clips of all these people coming running out of a theater. Yeah. That's what it looked like. These people run, just coming over this hill, yeah. just coming at you. They're running from something, and you're thinking, "What in the world?" And I really didn't get to see the building until the first, till after. I didn't even see the building when we until were doing the triage over here. It's when they called us to the other assignment, and we walked over there, and we were just walking on. We never touched the pavement. We were walking on glass and steel and concrete. And got well, to the building and just saw it. And it was like crazy. So your perspective of the building, when you pulled up, the building looked fine. Right? Uh, well, no, I could see the top part. Oh, you could. I okay. could see the top part, but we couldn't see the 30-foot crater out front and then all nine. Because when you see that building, it's a, just like a chunk was taken out of yeah. that building. Mm-hmm. Part of it is still standing, but it's like just a chunk is missing out of this ginormous building. It, it, it is. It's just like it just they made a cut and just – yeah. Like, yeah. like it was, it know, just dropped it, out. It just, yeah, because like if you, I mean, that's what I was kind of curious about. Because like, if you look at the building from one perspective, it could appear unscathed, yeah, right. but like on the other side, it looks like a bite was taken out. Right, like, and it's so hard to explain because it had a had a mezzanine, so it had a. You go around to the back, and you're on a plaza, which is actually what would have been the. You go in on the second floor, so like a as opposed to, almost, yeah. as opposed to if you were down on fifth street in the front doors, you would go in the first floor. But if you were back here, you'd go in the second floor because that okay. was, it was elevated. Sure. And so if you go around to the back side, which was the South side, you could, uh, I, I got a computer. No, I'll show, no. show y'all pictures when we get done. No, uh, no. I got them on my computer, uh, where you had to go down what we call the pit area. The other side on the front where everything was collapsed, that's where they were having to really, uh, what they they were doing at five gallon buckets at a time. Yeah, guys were crawling in, <clears throat> shoveling stuff back between their legs, and passing it, and they would take it out five gallon buckets at a time. Uh, and 
that was just the that's just the Corey. How much? How many people wound up perishing in that? Ooh, six, so, 60? Well, 168. 169. 19, 19 of them children. Now at this exactly. So yeah. I know, uh, and I was injured. In, injured was a uh, was six hundred eighty. Yeah, you know I was in high school uh, during nine eleven, mm-hmm. uh, and that's when I was told that everybody started receiving uh, funding to do all the collapse rescue, mm-hmm. rope, rope tech. Has and you guys had a dedicated hazmat unit. You guys had gone through hazmat school, or yeah, I was a um, hazmat tech. We had just started. Wanting to have a USAR team, okay, you know, because yeah, LA that's had. I'm, that's what I'm getting to. Is we like, just started rescue training right before that. We had, oh, had okay. We had we'd been out at the drill town, you know, using fulcrums to move large yeah. boulders and concrete. Because you're talking about guys are crawling in there, you know, shoveling shit between yeah. their legs, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, Did, was there that big push like at post 9/11? Yeah, had you guys had some of that training already, or you know, very basic. But I think if you if you there was no Typical firefighter, if it's a house fire, it doesn't matter. There was no consideration for building stability. If you move this rock, was it going to make something else? We were just doing what we could do to get yeah, in there to, yeah. you know. And then when you step back and look at it, you're going, could have been one of them deals where you move this little rock and it makes this huge Dead. thing, collect, yeah. you know. I mean, it's just one of those things, and, though. And, but. and arguably, again, for, for a lot of our people that listen that are, I mean, me and Steve, I was born in 84. You were born in 86, right? 85. 85. So, like, I mean, for, for guys like us, like, we, the, <laughs> well, no, I, going back to, like, me and Steve encountered 9-11 in high school. Right. And so by the time we had entered the fire service, a lot of these things were already in place. Again, yeah. like like in 95, the the domestic threat of a, of a or the domestic ther- terrorist threat of us actually like encountering a bombing, we, I was eleven years old. Right. You know, you were ten. Yeah, like we were. Uh, I remember seeing it on TV, the Oklahoma, and I remember sure. like asking my mom like, "What happened?" Right, and she's like, "We don't know." And then the next day, my mom actually sat me down and like explained to me that like, not everybody in the world is a good person, you know, <laughs> and like we had that was the, I think that might have been the. The like the good guy bad guy talk like the right. first real good guy bad yeah. guy talk where my head with me and you know a lot of people and I find myself the more I get to go speak these younger crowds younger people firefighters weren't even born you know it all came from 1993 in Waco Texas that's yes. where I was just yeah. at exactly. Timothy yeah. McVeigh was down there he watched the uh, Branch Davidian siege right. go south the guy that was running that was now office in Oklahoma City on the ninth floor. That's why he targeted the Murrah building. Yeah. Because really? you know, it, it was April 19th and 93 was the yeah. Waco, April 19th, 95. He picked April 19th for that reason because it was the anniversary. Oh, no shit. Yes. I didn't, I didn't was, even know that. It was yes. the two-year anniversary of the Waco siege that went south with the Branch Davidians. And so um, I don't even recall the gentleman's name that was kind of running that. He was uh, now. I just watched the. David Koresh. Da, David Koresh. No, well, Koresh. I'm talking about the, the agent. Oh, that was now oh, stationed uh, at yeah. Gates or something like that. But he was he was stationed in or office now in Oklahoma City, and that's why that's why they targeted the uh, the Mur- Alfred P. Murrah building. Yeah, for that I mean, for that reason. And again, I'm not I'm not trying to slow things down, but like I've I've got guys that are coming in the fire service that like again, my young guy was born oh, yeah. in '93. You yeah. know, and I'm like, what the fuck? Like the Bulls the Bulls weren't even good 
in yeah. 96, <laughs> you know, like, like it, it, like just, to, just to put like the fire service in perspective, like there's a lot of people that don't know the nonsense that you were dealing with. Right. Like, again, there was no, there was no fucking FEMA in 95 when you were, when you were a, a, a hazmat and fake news probably, but like, the, but when you were a hazmat tech on, as a captain on, on a hazmat rig, like. There, a lot of these things that that we take for granted post nine eleven weren't even in place. No, it was uh, like I said, communications. Um, I think I still had a, a a bag phone. That was my cell phone, or I had one of the big white brick ones. I mean, that's where we were with communications and all that kind of stuff in nineteen ninety five. I think pagers were still the popular way to get hold of somebody, and you had to have quarters to pull over and use a pay phone. <laughs> you know. Well, let's let's. Jump ahead a little bit here. This message brought to you. (laughs) Pull it together. Yeah. Try it again. All right. This episode brought to you by 1-800-BOARD-UP. You can visit 1-800-BOARD-UP at callusfirst.com. They specialize in board-up services, restoration, mold remediation, flood and fire damage, yeah, with all kinds of stuff. They've got water damage, uh, wind damage. If you've got some bad wind damage at the house, again, go along with the, who hasn't had bad wind damage, <laughs> right? Especially in this place. Um, <laughs> they do bowl remediation, carpet and tile cleanup. Vin, I know you're interested in this one. Art restoration for all those classic <laughs> pieces you have in your dining room. You're gonna want to check them out. Definitely make sure to visit their website again at callusfirst.com. Um, what I even noticed too that's super cool is if you take a look at their website, you can actually take a look at their Our Work tab and see before and after pictures. So don't just go in this thing blind. You can actually see how cool and how good of a job these guys do out there. Yeah, the same guys that are going to show up uh, first to any fire are the same guys that are going to help get you back on your feet and put it all back together for you. So visit callusfirst.com for your 1-800 board up guys. All this stuff happens to you. It You really do gain a ton of recognition for that photo that has nothing to do with you. Right. <laughs> it has no, by no doing of your own. This kind of takes a whole life of its own. And it has, it, it wound up at, Correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it wound up being cumulative, right? Mm-hmm. You started really starting to feel some negative effects about what happened and what you went through that day. The photo or not, the photo doesn't capture what what was going on with you after this whole thing. Right. And I think that that is what's missed about your story when people talk about the photo because it's everything that happened after the photo that really define that period of your life. And you you really took a downfall from there and kind of give us, if you want to talk about it, kind of give us the shitty part about <laughs> how this affected you okay. terribly. <clears throat> yeah, it was, um, you know, I really, as, as firefighters and, you know, and uh, everything is kind of, it's our, it's our family, it's a team deal. It's a, so I really struggled with the being singled out. I hated doing that, and and I look back, and the fire chief, he he always tried to shield me, take care of me, but mentally it plays your, your brain's pretty powerful little thing there, and uh, so the chief would call and he would say, hey Chris, so and so wants to do an interview. They said he said if you don't want to do it, 
just tell me and I'll be the bad guy and tell them no. And I thought, I'm going to be a bad guy. So I do, I was doing interviews and I was struggling with being singled out. And John Hansen, uh, retired chief, he was our PIO dude. Was, was he the one who was looking after you or yeah, your, your direct was, chief? Or are uh, they the same person? Uh, no, Chief Mars was the one calling saying, okay, but I would always go to Chief Hansen. John was, he was solid, man. Yeah. He was, uh, so he kind of had an idea that this may be messing with you. Great, great PIO guy. And, uh, he just told me, he said, Hey, they're not in, they don't, they're not talking to Chris Fields. They're talking to the firefighter in that photo that represents all the first responders that day. They're talking to, they're talking about Bailey. They're not talking about Bailey. They're talking about her representing all the innocence that was lost that day. And Bailey is the girl that Baby's you had still, in your eyes. Yeah, that's yep. the baby. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, when I took that kind of approach to it, it was, it was a little better. And I had, tons and tons and tons of support from the guys and girls on the fire department i really did i mean they would say oh man glad it's you that's getting you you know you're representing the fire department well so that helped but i was struggling with like um as i got to know aaron which is bailey's mom yeah which real quick we're still great friends today uh <clears throat> we still celebrate birthdays she's had two more children since then um her oldest and my youngest just graduated from college together a couple of years ago um <clears throat> But I struggled when I got to know her and just hearing her story and just meeting her a couple of days after the bombing was. Um, she wanted to meet you, right? Yeah. A reporter called and I was asked me if I wanted to meet the mother of the baby. And I was like, no. And she said, well, she wants to meet you. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, then I got to do it. I mean, I felt obligated yeah. to, yeah. Uh, right, right. you know, how do you, say, how do you say no to that? Yeah. yeah. But my still, I was scared to death. Like, what's she sure. going to say? She's going to come yeah. up and punch me she's gonna take out her frustrate well you know you don't know where her head's at right now and the amazing thing is all she did was she she thanked me she said i could tell that bailey was handled with care i could tell you were a father she said and so i appreciate the way you handled her and she said at least i know bailey's fate she said there's so many other families still you know i think you told her that you could tell without a shadow of a doubt that bailey did not suffer right right isn't that something that you said to the mother and and even one of the the paramedics had kind of reinforced that yeah because they're you know just like we talk about conspiracy theories all what we were talking about them earlier there's so many stories out there there are stories that uh that she actually and of course aaron not knowing anything somebody called aaron said uh bailey was in the ambulance she had agonal aspiration uh respirations well i still want to tell her i I didn't have and how do i look at her and say Aaron, agonal respirations aren't life-sustaining. You know, I mean, it's just, I mean, I'm, but I'm dealing with that. And her yeah, story, yeah, and yeah. she tells me, she doesn't tell it to me to make me feel guilty. She's just telling me her story that this connection we have, like a brother and sister, because I was the last one that she knows to hold her baby, you know, hold her child. Yeah. And Bailey had just turned a year old the day before on April 18th. And and then just watching all that Aaron went through with the, uh, she wasn't allowed to grieve in private at all. And a lot of them weren't, but... No. Uh, Aaron more so yeah. because of the because of the photo, and it's just some of the things she went through. That's the kind of stuff that was really weighing on me. Well, there was a a ton of this garbage that went through, just like somebody getting in her ear about that. Mm-hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, because I thought I read this and I was like sick to my stomach. There was accusations that you and Aaron like were having an affair or something like that. Is that right? <clears throat> well, what happened was there was a. Uh, and I don't even remember the, I could call Aaron right now. She could tell you the name of him. <laughs> um, it was a magazine from, 
I want to say oh, it's like the National Enquirer or the Sun, yeah. something like Some that. Nonsense, yeah. Well, what they did was they they asked me to go to Aaron's house, meet her at her house for an interview. She was living with her mom and dad and all them family out in a little suburb of Oklahoma City. So I went out there and we're doing this interview. And they had called, my wife Cheryl called and said, hey, these whatevers want to come to the house and interview me. I said, no. I said, I'll be back there in a little bit. Well, so we I didn't think any more about it. So me and Aaron are finishing up this interview, and they're taking pictures of us, you know, together. And this guy says, hey, would you mind giving Aaron a kiss on the cheek or something for a picture? And me and Aaron both like, no. <laughs> We don't we don't do that. It's a fucking odd request. Yeah, right yeah. Weird. Well, long story short, and I, Aaron was the one that found out. Somebody let her know. Their plan was to have a picture, show a picture of me giving Aaron a kiss, go interview my wife sitting at home by herself, and here's me and Aaron while the wife sits at home by herself, and they were going to run a story Christ. that me and Aaron fucking garbage were having yeah. an affair. In retrospect, me and Aaron thought, shit, we should let them run it and sue the <laughs> shit out of them, yeah. you know. <laughs> But we didn't, Aaron. She's feisty, dude. I'm yeah. telling you, she yeah. will mount your ass. <laughs> she's feisty, and uh, well, she she got it stopped. Yeah. But a couple of years ago, we were joking about going. You know, really, <laughs> we should have let that thing run and yeah. then just sued the pants off of them. <laughs> and uh, but we found a well, real quick side story that we probably wouldn't have got anything because when the photo first, when they were making all the statues, and I was getting little keychains with. Pewter keychains with the image on there and really? belt buckles, everything. Um, oh we tried to, God. Aaron tried to get control of that and stop it. And so we went to court. We got an attorney and everything, went to court. We didn't want any money. We just wanted it stopped. Yeah. And um, they ruled against us. They said, you're not celebrities, so you don't have any say-so over your photos. Our attorney said, well, they were put in celebrity status because of the photo. And yeah. they said no. And then they looked at Aaron and said, this judge said, uh, Miss Allman, she said, if anybody would have a case here, it would be Chris. She said, you don't have an argument because your party in the photo is deceased. Oh, Jesus like, Christ. So, didn't yeah. they want to put a statue in the federal building? Like they, Somebody wanted to make one. I don't know With the who. baby, with, with Bailey. Yeah, and there's a lot of stuff that uh, Aaron said. Yeah. You no, know, because she I – don't, I don't judge people on how they grieve. Uh, everybody grieves differently. But she caught a lot of – crap because her because bailey was in a photo i mean like it was um and she would tell several families i tell you what you give me bailey back and you can put your yeah, kid the, on the cover uh, some of the other family members were upset at aaron that she got the notoriety right, right and that was a quote from her saying yes you guys can have all the notoriety i'd rather have my daughter back right yeah and that kind of put everything yeah. Like everybody yeah. shut up after that. Yeah. But so. it's like, why would you want that? That's not right. something you want to be I known know. for so. losing the loss of your child. Right. So it, were, were, were there 19, uh, 19 kids children initially deceased? Yeah. Yeah. And not all of them were in the daycare. Some of them were there with grandparents or parents running errands to get yeah. social security number cards or whatever. Yeah. Cause well, was, I, I mean, I think I in, implicit in taking you off the track here, just shit like that is starting mm -hmm. to add up. Right. With you, because of this photo, I wanted to, I, to more for the reasons that we're going to talk about now, because mm -hmm. I want this to be more about resiliency as much as we've covered the photo, but it's your comeback and what you went through is more important to me for to have you on here than right. the photo. Right. 
I'm sure you're sick to death about talking about the photo, and I hope we haven't dragged it on too long. No, no, but no. I wanted you to get to... This episode of Chicago's Bravest Stories brought to you by Rescue One CBD Oil. Rescue One CBD, 0.000% THC. No fillers, no flavors, no chemicals or preservatives, and absolutely no failed drug tests. They're so confident that you won't fail your drug test that they'll include a little drug testing kit with your order. Uh, you can order the topical roll-on, the uh, little drop, the droppers that go underneath your tongue. That's what I use to go to sleep. So uh, rescue1cbd.com, enter the promo code BRAVEST and receive 25% off your order. Yeah, this, uh, I mean, Rescue One has been awesome to us. They, uh, they love whenever we, we do a commercial for them because we know our guys in the Chicagoland area need and want this stuff. Um, and I mean, giving out a drug test. But Vin, if, if the whiskey companies that I subscribe to <laughs> gave, out, gave out attorney's fees, I'd be it, same, same. You know what same I mean? Same as a whiskey company handing out uh, breathalyzers. There you go. Yeah. It's not a bad move. Quick hit on the way out. Yeah, for all you whiskey uh, companies out there. Hit us up. <laughs> right. We're, we're still, we're but still hiring. To, but, yeah. but back to CBD. But CBD is good, too. Um, make sure to take a look at the CBD oil. Um, and again, like Vince said, they got the roll-on. They've got the drops. And, um, and again, 100% safe for the job. How this brought you to the, would you, wouldn't you say that was the lowest point in your life? Oh, the absolute lowest. So yeah. when, when did you, when did it start really getting to you to the point where you're really starting to spiral out of control? Um, 1995 was the bombing, um, like 2002, 2003. And, and in between here, we've had these other significant calls on the fire department. And, and, and I got to take a moment here to say, Trauma is trauma. It doesn't matter. What's traumatic to me is not to you, vice versa. It doesn't matter if you're on a big department, small department. But to me, and it's, I talk about some of the significant incidents when I speak, but I also talk about just the everyday shit that we see. You know, cutting a 16-year-old out of a car when the parents show up on the scene of a car wreck or yeah, suicide that doesn't, make a, that doesn't make an iconic photo. doesn't make the news. Right, but it's, it's stuff we deal with every day. Yeah. And then people forget we have home lives, too, that aren't always peachy keen. You know, so everything and other calls was taking its toll, and I was I was doing pretty good at keeping on this little facade, you know, where I'm happy-go-lucky and the funny guy. And and then in 2002 or three, we were putting a pool in our backyard, and uh, <clears throat> I was helping the guys bust out our patio. We were going to extend it, and it started to rain or sprinkle, and I caught a smell of wet concrete dust. And a lot of people don't know that it, it rained the night of the Oklahoma City bombing, and so it just took me – inside that building with that wet concrete dust <clears throat> it was which i didn't know what a trigger was then so but in my mind i'm thinking that smells just like the bombing and i didn't um i didn't like fall to my knees or freak out i was just in my head but i can pinpoint that as a day that things really started to ramp up yeah. as far as my my little bouts of depression became longer my isolation want i want to be around my family i was super dad every event paying people money to come in so I wouldn't miss a sporting event. I pulled away from that and um, the anxiety and the anger, it was just, uh, and I knew I could feel it, but I was always like middle-aged crisis, you know, just going yeah. through whatever. You thought man, you could handle it at Whatever man right? goes through. And, of 
course, when I went to the station, I was totally different. Right. Because I wanted everybody to think I could handle my job. Um, and I'm a big proponent for spouses being in on orientations for jobs and stuff because Cheryl could see the change. She didn't know what to say or what not to say because there's two categories there that you got to, yeah. you know. And so things just got to a point to where our relationship was going south. I tell people it got to the arguments, the uh, – it was uh, – it became a that never got physical, but it became a pretty verbally abusive yeah. when we get in arguments. The things I said, and I always tell people, I I can never. I've been forgiven. Things are great. We'll get into that, but I can never take back the things I said to her. I get emotional talking about it because I said it in front of my sons, and they had to hear me say that to their mother. And uh, they were they were by this time they were seventeen and eleven. So, uh, so they were old enough to. They were old enough to know, yeah, yeah, that this ain't right. This isn't how dad should be treating mom or them. Um, so it came down to pretty much an ultimatum from Cheryl that said, you know, do something, go talk to somebody, get some help, do something, or beat it, get out. And I chose the pride and ego path and got out, right. you know. And, um, we were separated for seven, 16, 17 months, and during this time, I've got an extramarital affair going on, and it's pretty public. I You're living in a one-room apartment. I'm living in a little apartment and yeah. uh, running up debt because I want to be the good guy that didn't just leave his family. I still right. pay all the bills and take care of things, but I got I got to have my life too, you know. Yeah. And um, I always tell people, <clears throat> tell uh, firefighters when I speak to them, never get your – I'm not trying to get us off track, but uh, never get your marital advice or your life advice from other firefighters sitting in a strip bar <laughs> drinking beer during the afternoon because right. they're, they're giving you the support. They're telling you what you want to hear. Yeah. Right. So when I think I'm, you know, I got these guys going, hey, I could do what you want, man. Corey you canceled do. the strip club for tonight. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Don't cancel the beer, just the strip club. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, so I, they wanted me in their world. Because they were in this world, yeah, and I right. wanted their support. When it was the ones, the friends, and the family that were trying to help me, the ones I was pushing away, yeah, and um, all that, um, you know, came to a point to where I just uh, I th I feel I had done enough uh, emotional damage to everybody um, that I figured if I wasn't around, things would uh, be better off. And but sure. you you really started drinking, right? And did, weren't you on pain uh, Xanax? Xanax. Okay. You know, I had a doctor buddy who was doing what he, you know, helping a friend out. Yeah. I took advantage of it and uh, had the Xanax. And uh, I mean, I can enjoy a social drink now. It's not like it was, uh, you know, I've never had a drinking problem, but I was using you were that. Drinking a lot. I was using that to medicate and yeah. get through the day. And I tell people, um, me and my wife were separated 17 months, and except for maybe. Some really close people. There was a lot of people in the fire department never knew. That's how good I was at masking. That's, it. That's how good I was at masking it and getting by and uh, doing what I needed to do, taking the Xanax to help me get to sleep. And anyway, so it got to a point to where it was. I felt like if I wasn't around, that Cheryl could find her a you know a good man to be a good husband and take care of the boys and everything. And so I. Uh, Took what I thought was enough Xanax and they, and drank what I not enough, what I thought was enough uh, Crown Royal to uh, that I've made enough accidental overdoses. So that yeah. was your intention. That was that, that was my intention um, was to 
was to not wake up or whatever term we want to use. Um, and, and so you you had gotten to a point where like just your you felt like your own burden on your family. Yeah, was, yeah, and and that's a large part of it. You know, people people think that, uh, and I won't, we won't get into all the clinical stuff and everything, but you know, uh, suicide when people complete suicide to me, it's not a selfish act. It's not a selfish act at all. They think they're in a frank well. They think everybody's better off. I mean, it's just it's just hard to wrap your head around when you're talking about it. But uh, but being there, it wasn't uh, it wasn't like I'll show them, you know, or right. I'll, it wasn't. It was uh, like I was doing them a favor. And um, woke up the next morning and uh, called my wife and. Just told her. I said the first thing I said. She, you know, of course, she answered the phone. Like, what do you want? You know, that's yeah. pretty much where our conversations were at by then. And so you you woke up after taking all that Crown Royal and all those Xanax mm-hmm. because well, you didn't go to paramedic school and you didn't understand that that wasn't going to work at that point. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't realize it was just going to make me sick. Yeah, extremely yeah. sick. Um, but I thought I could be one of those accidental so overdose did, guys. Did and, you wake up sure. being like, "Fuck that"? Were you? Yeah. I, I don't want to say were you disappointed that, it, but were you more shocked that holy shit that didn't work? I yeah, you know I I that's weird. Out of all the stuff I've done, I've never been asked that question. Well, that's a great question. I mean, what I was thinking, and I really just uh, my first thought was get the throw up off of me. You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it had uh, I mean, you know, it but, fucked you up, but yeah, you were you still know, alive. You know, and. I made those calls where guys took too much of this or took too sure. much of that, and I didn't. Right. So I just thought I'll either drink myself to death or take enough pills. That, and, um, you know, my first thought when I was like, I was like established that I was still here and uh, was like I got to the point where I was so cliche, sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah. And I just said there is no way this is – I don't think I use the word purpose in my life, but I said, there's no way this is where, what I'm supposed to be doing. And I didn't mean getting to do this and speak. And my, sure. I was talking about being, being a husband, a, dad, yeah. a father, and a friend. Yeah, That's the only three things I was talking about. And so I called my wife and said, I want to come home. That was my first. And she didn't take a breath. She didn't let me think, but she just said, well, come on. And uh, how was your relationship with her prior to that? You guys had had conversations prior to that phone call where you oh, were we all were, in? We were, we were in the process of getting a divorce. So everything wasn't pleasant between you guys. Oh, no, no, but no. But was it something in your voice? Did you let her, like, how did she know that this is the Chris Fields now that yeah, is good to come home? Yeah. She, um, put it this way, our, our relationship, it wasn't, um, like if we were in the same public place, like at one of my kids' sporting events, we didn't we didn't cause a scene, but it would upset her pretty bad, which would upset the boys. Yeah. So there's boys' coaches would actually call Cheryl and say, "Is there any way you can have Chris not come?" Wow. I mean, that's how <sighs> that sucks because I would upset her so bad. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, and uh, and it wasn't like I say we didn't yell and fight in public. We didn't, but it was just. Uh, it, and it, she it was just and she, yeah. And she, she spoke with me a few times at some couples things. She just tells people. She says, his eyes, she said, they were just, she goes, when I looked in his eyes, they were empty. She said, I knew it wasn't Chris I was dealing with. Now, I say all that, and to jump ahead, you know, I end up being diagnosed with PTSD, anxiety, depression, suicidal, I, all the, checked all the boxes, but I make, I own my shit. I make no excuses. That didn't cause me to <clears throat> do right. this and do that. But you do get to a certain point to where 
the repercussions or the consequences. No matter what, who's yeah. at fault, you yeah. still have to deal with still here. the right. fallout. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like whatever, you know. So, uh, what year is this that this happened? This is in two thousand nine. Okay. Two thousand eight. So, so, so I say, we'll call it yeah, thirteen years. Yeah, I'm saying it was a lot of years of me just getting by and you know popping a few Xanax here and there to even out and you know so um and <clears throat> my wife used to say i guess i guess maybe it was my tone when i said i want to come home she yeah. could tell i was broken she could tell i was done uh i was the wheels had fallen completely off and uh what's crazy she used to tell me this when we would have some good conversations she would go into her our closet at home, and that's where she would go in there and pray and do all her stuff. All right, it was her, what's that movie, War Closet or something, where she would mm. go in there and pray and everything. And she said that she used to have visions of me speaking to people, to large groups of people, to large groups of people. And then you came on this podcast, yeah. and it just small groups of people. So I'm going to go back and tell her, I'm going to go back and tell her, your vision sucked. <laughs> no, I'm just, that was the worst, worst vision you ever had. Yeah. But, but, in Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, this was like, this wasn't she didn't tell me this like after I'm speaking just to make it sound like it. She used to tell me this wow. to say, I'm praying for you. She goes she goes and her deal was she got to the point to where and it I get emotional again. She was actually praying for God to take away her love for me because she wanted out, but she couldn't let go of me. And uh so, you know, to I always tell people, you don't want to get to that point. You don't want to be that person. That's somebody's actually that's a hardcore point. Right yeah, there. somebody's actually praying to not care about you anymore. Yeah. To take away but she said, she said it was just, uh, she would say, she didn't, I don't want to sound bad. She wanted the marriage to work, but her more concern was that I was okay. If the marriage worked out, that's a bonus. If the marriage doesn't work out, but I'm okay. She'd be all right with that. She'd be all right with that. Uh, so even through all that, she still loved you that much that she only cared about your well-being. Yep. And uh, and so now it kind of makes sense that she had that insight that, all right, this is the time where Chris needs to come back home. Yeah. And we can now we can start fixing this. Right. And like I said, it was, uh, <clears throat> I guess it was my tone in my voice or whatever, because yeah. she didn't even, and maybe she was just waiting on that call. I don't know. Yeah. Because uh, she just said, well, come on. And uh, that was it, huh? And you just reached out to the, <clears throat> excuse me, the chaplain of the fire department and, uh Got set up and went to a treatment facility. And, well, uh, Chris, what? So she says, "Come on home. Mm -hmm. You go straight there." Uh, you, she tells you to come home. Do you grab your keys, you get in your yeah. car, and you go straight home? Uh, you know, I think she went ahead and had to go to work that day or something. It's cool. Okay. But I mean, we got together that afternoon. Okay. You know, I mean, and, she was in the drive up uh, at Starbucks. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when you saw her for the first time after her telling you to come home. Oh. What was that like? It was. Uh, was it like I don't know if this is going to work out? Or I think was it we were like what you want to imagine. I think we were both thrilled that the moment had happened, and we were at that point, but we were also scared of what was going to happen. Yeah, because it was. Uh, I had been home. Meant? I hadn't been home in seventeen months. Right. Yeah, you know, the, my the seventeen year my seventeen year old son was a man of the house. You know, uh, so this is the first hug you've given your wife in 17 months, uh, probably more, right? The first one where it was actually, you know, more of a, yeah, it was a, it was a yeah, hug, you know, yeah. and, um, like I said, and it was just kind of a, and it wasn't, I tell people, it's not all, you know, sunshine and rainbows. It was a tough, and I know that you guys 
it wasn't just like okay we love each other again it's right no, let's, no, start, no. let's go pick yeah. out curtains or something like that you guys <laughs> had a you guys had to really work we, and i think in the documentary your wife is like yeah a marriage you have to work at a marriage or something she said something to that effect right well it, and it was both of us i mean i look back and say i think our marriage wouldn't be where it is now if it hadn't if we hadn't gone through what we i wish it had been as intense but <laughs> It was uh, because through that, um, you know, she had some issues, too, that, that she needed to work on yeah. personally. And so when I went to treatment and came back and, and did my follow-up. What, and got, what treatment was it? Was it for the addiction or the PTSD? The PTSD. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, never had it. I mean, I could stop sure. drinking that day, you know. It was just, it was just what I did to help me get through the day right um and it, where where did you go for that i went to a place in california called west coast post-traumatic retreat okay. uh it's weird that it's in the like in wine country yeah <laughs> but uh, but have you ever heard scallon tell his story he went there too no he said i'm going to this because he drank a lot there too he said he was going to this deal he showed up with purple teeth because he stopped at every <laughs> wine thing on the way no he was going to treatment <laughs> so he showed up with purple teeth <laughs> But right, uh, this is Rock Climb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Classic Scanlon. Yeah. But he, uh, but anyway, so I got the treatment, and I think it was the first time that you were, I was able to look and say, I'm not a unicorn. I'm not the only one because you're there with. And that had to be super helpful to know super that. Super helpful. Yeah. And then when you, st and you got to get away from people want to compare trauma. You can't compare trauma. A it's all upper. different. A, it's a trauma one-upper. One is there a well, worse thing? I was actually just thinking that well, as and, you were saying And that. I did that because I was like, as I, you know, it's almost like a, what I think an AA meeting would be. Like you stand up, say your name, right. you know. And at West Coast, uh, WCPR, I actually have a hat that says JFU. That's their motto. You just fucked up. That's just what you're. <laughs> yeah. So that's what you, I stood up and said, I'm Chris Fields and I'm just fucked up. Did people have any idea who you were in that group? Uh I'm not, sure it came out later. The the counselor people did the yeah. clinician, but not at uh, not okay. at first. But it came out. But talking about the comparing trauma, I told my story, you know, and you know, woe is me. I'm here to get. And then this little girl stands up. She's 22, 23 years old, rookie LA cop. Her first call is like a uh, suicide. You know, guy killed his family Murder and killed suicide. himself. Yeah. She shows up on the scene by herself first, you know, and so. She's telling her story, and this guy's telling his story, and I'm going, God, my story is nothing compared to what these people went through. Yeah. But I've learned that we can't do that. You know, like yeah. I said, it doesn't matter, big department, small department, volunteer paid, yeah. trauma's trauma. Because you just said uh, earlier that your trauma is different than my trauma. Yeah. What may bother you, you could go through all these huge events right. and not get affected. You go to some guy with the last red finger, and that could be the one. Right. That affects you. Right. And, <clears throat> excuse me, you learn. I got into uh, Ellen Kirschman was my uh, clinician, and she's written several books, How to Love a Firefighter. And I think the other one's entitled. Was she the one who's on that uh, documentary as well? <clears throat> no, that was, um, I can't think of her name now. Okay. But, uh, no. But she wrote How to Love a Firefighter, and I think the other one's called I Don't Know Why You Would, But How to Love a Cop. I, I just call it How to Love a That's Cop. That's the actual title? No. <laughs> I was going to say, I actually bought Vince the book, How to Love a Firefighter, so, hoping, hoping that relationship would get better, but it never did. So, I burned it. <laughs> but anyway, she, she introduced me to EMDR therapy and all this kind of stuff, and and um, 
we won't have a session here, but you know, it gets into first responders are number one, you got to have a heart for the job. Most 90, I don't know, a large percentage of first responders have experienced some type of childhood trauma. That's why they're involved in first responders. They want to be protectors. And, you know, as part of my story, like I'm, you know, 10 years old, I was molested by a guy at the church. And that was all, that was stuff that came out that I was able to tell Cheryl finally. And she had no idea about it. Nobody, this. nobody, me was the only one that knew until I was 50 years old, 40 something years old, or however, when that was. And, uh, but that took a lot of, um, all that irrational guilt. Well, it, it's all the work, but it all tied in together. When I got back to Oklahoma, I started seeing a lady named uh, Kathy Thomas. Um, and I always want to say it's so important to get culturally competent therapists that have dealt with first responders. <laughs> culturally competent. You can't it go just. Well, we just had Greg Baghdad in here, and he kind of says that you have to understand your audience. Well, we were putting, they were saying, like the EAP people we were trying to talk to, they were going to therapy after hearing our stories, you know. <laughs> Come if, on. They, if they're not if they're not used to sure. we're telling them the things we're seeing and smelling and yeah. doing and they're they, used to uh my father treat me didn't pay me enough attention. Right. Yeah, or, yeah right. you or know divorce that, parents or like yeah. something. Right. And so it's important to find a culturally competent um therapist. therapist. But when I was uh with Kathy, um she I felt like she knew that was inside of me and I wanted to talk about it. Because I kept talking about all this irrational guilt was the main thing with uh, with Aaron, all this irrational guilt. Yeah. Well, I carried that with me, that irrational guilt that it was my fault for 40-something years, what happened to me when I was 10 years old. So and she just backtracked from that. She found she, that, and then she just backtracked. Uh, yeah, and so when I, once I got that out there and everything, I think, like, you know, everything's just been – and all this wasn't, like, say, just a smooth road. It was – I actually – when I first moved back in, Cheryl got to a point where she said, I mean, the trust – was gone everything yeah. was gone she got to the point where she said i'm not ready so i've moved to my parents house moved back out to my parents house dang after yeah wow. but then she started uh we were trying we were trying to go straight to marriage counseling you know on top of me going to my counseling yeah i don't know if it was our marriage counselor that maybe suggested to cheryl she see her by herself one-on-one so she started seeing cheryl by herself and i was still going to see kathy and then we would come together for our uh Joint. couples yeah. uh and that, w- that that worked out well and cheryl had some stuff that she had to work out uh not just with me with yeah. some of her personal stuff that she got worked out and like i say um it's been so about- you would advocate uh seeing someone you would advocate getting oh. some help and don't go with this alone don't yeah uh it's gonna sound really funny there's a book <laughs> called uh and i'm not a big reader and you can tell by the title of this book, it's called, I might have to look it up. I think it's called The Boy, the Mole, the Horse, and the Fox, or something like that. <laughs> look it up. Sure. It's really good. It's got so many little, it's the horse is the wise person. He's talking about all the, this kid because he's like, he says, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? And the horse said, ask for help. He said, ask for, asking for help isn't give, giving up. It's actually refusing to give up. So, I mean, there's just little stuff like that in that book, and I read that. and I, So that's what I tell people. I said it's so important to uh, – Well, if you to, look that up on Corey's computer, you're going to find vastly different things. Yeah, uh, I, I, listen, I'm, I'm in private mode right now. That's disgusting. So, that is disgusting. Uh, the Boy, the Mole, the Fox, and the Horse yeah, by uh, Charlie Max. Yes. If you look up, like Google up like quotes from the book, 
I'm telling you, there's more stuff in that book. Give us a gem, Corey. I'll give I'll, us a gem. You just gave us a gem. I'll give you another one real quick. All right, I like they're in the, there's a storm, and they're in the forest, and the little boy's freaking out because he says he can't see his way through the forest. And the horse says, can you see your next step? And he says, yes. He says, then take it. Wow. I'm thinking, I'm reading this book about the boy, the mole, the fox, and the horse, and I'm going, this is deep. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's really uh, – Go ahead and buy a copy, Corey. Well, okay. uh, on your tab. But I apply all that kind of stuff. Like, yeah, definitely um, – what what brought you there? What brought where, me where, like where'd you get where'd you get this book out of? Uh, I heard on a, uh, another podcast. Am I talking about it? <laughs> oh, dude, podcasters suck. So yeah. um, <laughs> it's just really good. It's just a life lesson book, and I didn't have it when I was going through all my stuff. I use it now. I apply so much stuff. Sure. To- At the tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press one for more options. This episode of Chicago's Bravest Stories was supposed to be brought to you by the Frontline Team. Josh, tell us about the current state of mortgages and some of the great, great services at the Frontline Team. That's terrific. We were supposed to tell everyone to reach the Frontline Team at the Frontline Team at thefederalsavingsbank.com. We were going to tell everyone to reach out to the Frontline Team on their Facebook and Instagram. And we might have even told them to reach the Frontline Team at 630-534-2900. It sure would have been wonderful if we would have done that, huh, Ben? But I guarantee... Josh is out there closing right now. Oh, this guy does not. He's having not coffee. Close. You know why he's having coffee, Corey? <laughs> why is he having? Because coffee? coffee's for closers. Coffee is for closers. Okay, this I guarantee you, somebody's calling him right now. He can't pick up the phone because they're having an issue. And you know what? Josh is there. Nine o'clock at night. Nine the only reason he's night. not picking up the phone is because he's closing. He's closing. That's mm-hmm. the only reason for him not to pick up the phone. This voicemail is brought to you by the Frontline Team. <laughs> TheFederalSavingsBank.com. Do you think that the um, was the bulk of the trauma you were carrying was that from the bombing, or was it was the uh, was a lot of it from I, other events that I happened? Think the, the I think it was the I think the bombing was the uh, was the catalyst maybe that put me over the edge. But then there was so much stuff afterwards because we're talking seven years, so I yeah, made yeah. other calls and other, and then even after that, there but was the accumulative effect of. Like, you know, like, okay, you see something, you know, that sucks, you know, mm-hmm. you could kind of gut it maybe for a little bit and then it kind of goes away, you know, and, you know, but you were reliving that traumatic mm-hmm. event of the Oklahoma City bombing again and, and again through the media and again through the media and this and interview and that interview and you go to the coffee shop and there's a, they're selling fucking statues of you <laughs> and right. the baby and, <clears throat> you know, stuff. So you're just like. You were in this like uh, fight or flight, right? You know, for the longest time, you just had like total, complete uh, adrenaline dump every day for how long? You know, with right. these interviews and everything like that, of just constantly this reliving immense. it, like it never went away, right? Yeah. And then, yeah. like you say, then just with everything else we do, you know, they talk about the 
I mean, we can probably gather hands and have kumbaya if y'all want to. But we're talking <laughs> about the talking about the uh, vicarious trauma when we make all these calls and we see all these people negatively affected or negative outcomes. We, I mean, I can't just can't do CPR on a four year old and they not make it and you go back to the station, not ever think about it again. You can't. Yeah, that's not who we are. And so. Well, they say one guy I heard speak talking about compassion fatigue. He defines it as the uh, cost of caring because it just takes a toll on you. You take on these other people's yeah, trauma. Yeah, that was a term I didn't hear until I saw your documentary, the compassion fatigue. Yeah. And it, that that description is like I, I'm glad that somebody actually coined that term because it, it really does describe – what we all go through. Yeah. Right. It, it, that, that's a real thing, but I just don't think until recently, like it had a name. That there was a name for well, it. And, yeah. and we, as firefighters, especially we cops, just by the nature of the bees, they catch a lot of unnecessary shit, but firefighters, we pride ourselves on getting there and making a bad situation better. And when we can't do that, we question, you know, did we do everything we could? Did we do it right? What we had done different. That's why we have these critiques. Yeah. You know, um, we so, still suck at them, though. Yeah, <laughs> we do. Oh, do we suck hey, at them? Can we have a funny story now? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. Please. For the love of Talking about how we suck on critiques. Yeah. We had a uh, fire in a church. I, it wasn't on my shift. It was another guy named Robbie Wilder, funniest guy in the world. But he's, uh, they call him in. He got lost, he got separated from his crew and lost at this uh, Southwest Baptist Church. They were locked down in a basement. So he goes into this critique. <laughs> And they've got the they've got it drawn up on the board, you know. And the chiefs are going, <laughs> "Hey, Robbie, um, they had hose line placement, the whole deal." And they said, "Show us uh, where you got lost." Robbie went like this. He put his hands over his eyes and went, <laughs> just touched the board like I don't know. I was lost. <laughs> you talking about how bad critiques are? But they, where'd you get lost? So he actually in front of the chiefs, he put his hands over his eyes and just touched the board like. Here, I guess I don't know. But so to this day, he still doesn't know. No, he still doesn't know where he got lost. That makes sense. That's like when we had Mikey Manchester. Uh, <laughs> right. We bring this guy in. He, you know, he passed out at a fire and he made a situation. Blah 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 blah. I wish that we could have like I, I I know what you're gonna say. I wish that we could have recorded like the our faces. hours. Well, no, the hours of us talking about Mikey Manchester <laughs> oh. relative to like the actual the, the podcast is great, but us just talking about Mikey and to Mikey beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> so uh anyways we we're getting ready for the story like you know we get we were at the bar next door and we get him lined up in the studio and we're like all right man take us there you go to work and he goes i don't remember and we're like you don't remember going to work he goes nope and we're like well what about the fire he's like don't remember that either and we're like so like everything that went down and he's like nope and we're like oh he's like i was innovated um <laughs> I, I, people tell me that I went down in the fire and um, I was intubated. I was in the hospital for six months. Yeah, he I said he, remember he didn't remember from two days before the fire that that was his first memory. All right, well, there goes the oh, podcast. Yeah. Yeah. But he wound up coming through with some good stories, oh, though. Yeah, which I think probably were better than oh, what we could have got from yeah. that meeting. Yes. I mean, he was, yeah. yeah. So well, I was going to say, so Chris, relative to like everything else that's going on, like what's one of the, so when you get back, 
when you get with the boys from from the old station, mm-hmm. all the guys that were on the rig, when you guys get together at the bar, like what's the what's the funny story you guys talk about? Like that you guys had? Oh, good lord! There's so yeah. many from the well, call. Yeah. Oh, from or from a call. From any call. Well, yeah. I'm from calls. Sometimes we just talk about. Um, well, we have several. There's yeah. uh, we made this one gal um, bigger than most. Um, we had to. Uh, check the welfare we get there and she's uh no poles in her bed yeah well she's extremely extremely large person yeah. and so we think we got to get her out in the hall so we can uh try to do cpr reassess how yeah reassess yeah so we have this one guy who's always says stuff wrong when he doesn't mean it he gives the old we're trying to move her, and he says all right on three you know and heave hose not the words you use when family's around <laughs> so he says one two and on three he throws out heave ho so like like r maybe you know or something. i don't know so anyway we get her out in the we get her to the floor and uh flap of skin moves in a old sandwich falls out of the, i'll tell you what if i had a nickel right vince uh, you know what I'm and i tell you what i have my brother-in-law i tell For that, me i'm saying i tell that story uh uh to other just friends and stuff. And they're like, oh, there's no way. And it, my brother-in-law, I worked with my brother-in-law. We were at the same station for a while, which they don't allow very often. Uh, oh, but yeah. he was on that call. So he sent me a text that says, this is Cliff. The sandwich story really happened. So people go, now I'm going, I don't have to call him. So I'm always calling him going, he'll go, yes. He'll pick up and go, yes, it was a ham sandwich. Yeah, ham, <laughs> ham, Munster, one slice of lettuce. And we yeah. had a... Uh, we, we were on a warehouse fire and the uh, roof came in oh. and I was with, I was on the ladder. I was had like three years on four years. And when the roof came down, it pushed my officer this way and pushed me this way. And it put a nail through the top of my boot through my foot. Oh, so I'm laying there kind of writhing, writhing in pain <clears throat> and he's freaking out cause he can't find me. And, uh, I'm trying to through all the noise and try not to cry and everything. I'm trying to tell him I'm here. And he, he wore a, rug and so when he finally peeks over this pile of stuff and he's looking at me his helmet's off and his hair standing up like this <laughs> so trying to tell him i'm okay and like so once i tell the story he became known as captain flip top you know for the rest of his career so uh what a nice way to say it yeah <laughs> yeah but, so worse. you have flip top you got lizard eyes i see you uh, got quite a ca- I, uh, cast characters I, 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 I got one more funny one yeah pub yeah. ed we go we used to go to this junior high and play uh volleyball mm-hmm. or do stuff with the kids they read a book firemen come you know here's your yeah. reward um here's a reward to get to look at us and wear, and, wear and, volleyball and, shorts and, <laughs> and i happened to be off that day but the crew told me about it uh, the same guy that used the heave ho word. Yeah, uh, they're out there playing the school's mascot for the reading. I think it was like have a porpoise in life or something. So it was a dolphin. <laughs> so they're out there playing volleyball, and this dolphin's kind of like messing with them. You know, come fireman slapping them on the back, kind of tapping on back of the head and running off or anything. Well, uh, this guy Paul, uh, they're just messing. He's kind of slapping it in the snoot. And they're going back and forth. Well, he grabs this. Porpoise puts it in a headlock, getting a little noogie. He's going ah, like that, uh-huh. and that dolphin comes up and staggering around. It's like a sixty-five-year-old lady. <laughs> in this, uh, she was like the librarian. She was the little mascot. She takes this. She takes the dolphin head off, and she's like 
staggering all around. She's like 65 years old, you know, which is not old because I'm 58 now. So 65, not old. It was back then. But he thought it was some kid in there, right? Yeah, he thought it was a kid. But he put it in the headlock. Yeah, so it was... uh, uppercuts it yeah we can sit around tell stories forever well well chris now that you've been to the bottom you've made your way through would you say that having your picture taken at that bombing would you view that as a positive thing in your life or would you rather have not done that how has it affect your life in for the better or for the worst um, that is such a um, well. It's a dick question, right? That's yeah. No. Well, no. no, 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 no I'm just kidding. I will. I will give you an assist here. Okay. If you look at it in the positive way, you had to go through all that, and now you can affect change from your position because you right. do speak a lot. Yeah. You travel all over the place. You speak a lot. You're involved in the Quell Foundation. You're part of that uh, lifting of the mask in mm-hmm. people. You have a in. You have a foot into door to people because they know you from that photo. Right. You could also say that it is an impact you more negatively because of what you went through. And you just, you had that big event that made you more susceptible to the piling on of the everything else that we would normally compartmentalize. Right. But you just had that big event. So based on that. Well, and the answer is twofold. It's, uh, do I wish... Aaron would have never lost her baby and all that. Yeah, I mean, right. definitely. What should never happen? Bombing, 168 innocent people killed that day, and some people are still dealing with their physical injuries and probably oh, emotional God. too. Yeah. And so, but on the flip side, now that I'm where I'm at and I can look at it from 30,000 feet and see what all has been, I probably wouldn't be ended up being the husband or the father or the guy I am today if I hadn't gone through all that. And, and I do all that with uh, Aaron Bailey's mom. She loves that I'm out speaking and using the photo for that. It gives her some kind of closure. Closure. And, and, Bailey and, didn't die in vain. Yes, there's the here's a person. And I always, always speak about the bombing. Uh, even if I'm not going to speak about that the whole day, when I first start my talk, I always spend about five minutes talking about, I show a little video, and I show the list of the 168 names. <laughs> And I show Bailey's picture of the one the day before at her birthday party. And I do that to kind of honor those folks because I know without a doubt that's where I get my platform, yeah. without a doubt. So yeah. I feel like I should honor them. So it's a yes and a no. But I can tell you, I always say that my, you know, it's cool. It's like you're saying, you know, it's cool. Your dad's a firefighter. Your dad's a cop. It's always cool. And they're super proud of you. And you're, But I can tell you, my sons now are 30 and 24 and if I called them in here and asked them, I'll tell you, they'd be more proud of the things I did to After the event. get my life back together, yeah. get our family back together, than they were of me being a firefighter. So that right there tells me, you know, that – and I don't, have, I, t- I don't have any bad days. I have days that are worse than others because I still struggle with forgiving myself. That's the worst yeah. for the things I – I mean, there's 17 months that I can't get back. And I said things that no kid should have to hear them say about, you know, and I – left my 17-year-old son to be the man of the house and take care of his mother and his 11-year-old brother. and So that kind of stuff, I, but I always um, say, I always look at where I was and where I am now. And uh, another quote from the book talks about uh, when things get so big and they're weighing you down, you just think about the things right underneath your nose that you love. Yeah. And 
So that's that's just kind of – so I don't want to have any bad days. I just have some days that are worse than others where I, I say, struggle with, you know, thinking back and forgiving myself and things like that. Well, yeah, I, I, th- I, I think I, one of the quotes that we have here is, uh, if you were asking Vince before, <laughs> is, is your glass half empty or half full? Ask them all. I think I'm grateful to have a glass, said the boy. So that's kind of – So that book is deep. <laughs> wow. Break that shit down. It's a kid's yeah. book. For kindergartners, yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah. yeah, no, it's it's really <laughs> no, it's, 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 there's stuff like that all through the yeah. book. It's but crazy. if you if you read on, it says, and then Corey asked, "What's in the glass? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> was it brown or was it white? Right? If you read on, mm-hmm. well, Chris, I, I'm I can't thank you enough for being here. I, in my opinion, from the outside looking in, you're doing an amazing job. Yeah, well, thank uh, you. I think you're reaching a lot of people and just you letting people know that what you went through and that your ultimate advice is you really do have to reach out for help that yes right that uh, and i got that from the the documentary i got that from you i got pleasure of hanging out with you a couple times and we're gonna go and we're gonna crush some steaks or mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh do some more of this yeah but uh so, so thank you so much steve Corey. what do you guys think any last words? Nope. Yeah. Nope. Nope. Well, well, well I, I don't want, want you got one more uh, of these quotes. You <laughs> uh, give them one more to finish off. And do you ha- yeah, wait you before you do that? Let, let's you have stuff to promote. Um. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. No. First, I want to promote tell your y'all podcast th- too. Think, thanks for having me out. I mean, uh, find find me out here first class, like you do all your guests. I appreciate that. <laughs> and it's uh, Corey's credit card. How we do? That's how we do. <laughs> so anyway, no. Uh, Appreciate you having. I listened to all y'all's old stuff, you know. When I, uh, Man, I wouldn't uh, waste your time. <laughs> yeah, watch it on Facebook or whatever. So, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, we, uh, me and a couple of guys, you, we've talked about them. That uh, my brothers, um, Raul Rivas, Doug Mond, and Chris Scowen. We have a trauma behind the badge um, speaking thing we do together. But we also have every Tuesday night at seven o'clock Eastern. Um, you can go to www traumabehindthebadge.us and get on the email list. We'll give you a link to, for the webinar. We have uh, awesome people on there with story, amazing stories. We have clinicians on there. We have all these kind of people on there. Um, it's, it's it's on Facebook Live, too, and then they you can replay them. On, I think we have a YouTube channel. I'm not sure about all that. But uh, You sound like the Corey of Chicago's previous yeah. but, uh But it's not family-friendly. I always warn people, don't, you know, if... Uh, well, Scanlon, we're we're coming for you next. Yeah. Yeah, you need Scanlon here. Yeah, if, we're if coming word, for you next. If words... Uh, it's just like sitting around the kitchen table at the fire station or out the back lot of the police station. We just... It's, uh, it's just uh, tough conversations. And, yeah. Uh, so, but uh, that and then, um, you know, just... Survive first. I like to promote Doug Monda's uh, deal five hundred one three C or C three, whatever the way the letters yeah, go. Sure, the, uh, yeah, non for profit. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Uh, anyway, survive first, and it's survivefirst.us. Um, it takes the no. It, that's their motto. Kind of takes no out of the equation of people getting help. Um, they, we've uh, helped. I'm honored to sit on that board with them and BLA is on for the fire side, but they help people get to treatment. We've paid airfares, paid for a family to go drop a loved one off at treatment we've covered copays on insurance because that's a big hurdle um yeah well we'll uh we'll post so, that on our stuff too yeah absolutely yeah okay yeah. No, but other than that man i'm good and i i 
super glad I got to do this with y'all guys. Oh, well, we're glad you agreed to it. Yeah. <laughs> you ain't over yet, pal. Yeah, we're just be. This is the first stop. <laughs> there we go. We literally came straight from the airport, dropped off Jacks, and came straight here. So <laughs> yeah. we're on. Uh, Chris hasn't even got to his hotel yet. Now we have to wait for Jacks to pick us up. Yes, <laughs> well, he's the only one sober enough to drive. Right. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, the yeah. uh, trauma behind the badge. Check that out. By the time people will listen to this, you're have already been speaking for the um, the hundred club. So yes. front you're front gonna, line conference. Yeah, okay. front line yeah. conference. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, so All definitely right. make sure to check out the one hundred club in any capacity you can donate and help out. Oh, uh, real quick before we sign off. Okay, here oh. you go. Uh, you said it was uh, important to find a culturally competent. Cultura- culturally competent clinician. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know if your clinician is culturally competent, you can reach out to the Hunter Club, Ooh. and they actually have a list on their website of culturally competent, vetted by the Hunter Club clinicians. The Hunter Club uh, employs a clinician on staff. She does. I don't believe she does treatment, uh, but uh, she definitely uh, vets these people. That's it's one awesome. of their things. So if you are having trouble finding a culturally competent clinician or you just don't know who to talk to, check out the Hunter Club's website. Yeah, and Awesome. We, and we already know one who's culturally competent. Greg Bagdad. Greg Bagdad. Yeah. The Hebrew and, hammer. Yeah. And, and we, that's Harmon Killebrew. Harmon Killebrew <laughs> from Minnesota Twins. Um, so, and, and, and that's honestly, I, I feel like probably one of our biggest hurdles to overcome is that, I mean, I mean, me and you could probably talk about this over and over again, how often we've probably been like, ah, you know what, like, I, I want to talk to someone and you talk to someone and you're like, ah, fuck that guy. Like, yeah. you know, and just not someone coming. Yeah, I'm saving that story for behind our door one day, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, All right. Well, Chris Fields, Chicago's Bravest Stories. Thank you. All right. Your two minutes starts now. Chris, my two minutes. So put me on the clock. (laughs) So we fuck with each other for a pastime in this area. Mm -hmm. What is the best prank story you have from Oko. I want to hear straight Besides from Oko. Besides shitting in a guy. purse? Obviously outside. He, that was a copper. It was a fireman. Did the, did. Who, oh no, you're what right. What was, was the a, rank of the guy who actually shit in the purse? Uh, firefighter. Okay. Uh, was it the lowest corporal. guy? Was it the lowest? Uh, he was, guy was the least he was in order? A, yeah, he was a senior firefighter. Oh, so the top guy gets the shit in the purse. Uh, yeah. Was a mess. That's nice. <laughs> Was it messy? It was messy. I didn't. Right. I didn't view it. The cop right, didn't so, like it. You know, was, kid. Hey, give me that. Get some time on that job. Give me that purse. Show <laughs> <laughs> sure you how it's right. fucking done. Like it. right? When you get time on, you get a yeah. shit in the purse. <laughs> Until that, <laughs> hand it over. I got more time shitting in purses than you got on this job, kid. All right. <laughs> the opinions and views are that of Chicago's bravest stories and their guests. They do not necessarily reflect the views of any municipal governments fire protection districts, fire departments, EMS, or law enforcement organizations.